We want when people come here, this to be an overwhelming sense of home. Because biblical Christianity at its core is relational. If you are going to lead, you have to first be, you have to first be led. Hey, welcome to Lead Talks with the Craigs. My name's Craig Mosgrove. And I'm Chad Craig. Yeah, what a joy always to be with you here on the podcast, whether you're watching live via YouTube or maybe you're listening to audio podcast platform. It's always, always a joy to be together and to communicate. And we're in a series, Pastor Chad, right now here in season number three about the leadership of the Spirit. So we've just entitled this, In Order to Lead, You Must First Be Led. And we're talking about surrendering, obviously, to the leadership of God's Spirit in our life, the person of the Holy Spirit. And it's been a really rich few weeks and um, a lot of good conversation. We have really taken a really wide breadth, everything from the personhood of the Holy Spirit to the giftedness of the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. to Holy Spirit and the the role of the Spirit in revival, the Holy Spirit in prayer. And today we just kind of want to put a bow on this season. We're entitled on this uh, episode, The Holy Spirit and Disciple Making. Mm. And Pastor Chad, obviously disciple making is the heart. It's not peripheral to Jesus. It's the central focus of Jesus' ministry and what he's given to us in the Great Commission. And Certainly. again, I don't want to take for granted that maybe people are watching today that don't know that. You can take it for granted. Right, yeah. I mean, we know whole individuals, whole, whole ministries, church is still not clear on it. So right. we definitely don't want to take it for granted. That's right. So it's often been said, you know, we'll, we'll refer to this here in a little bit. I'll refer to it multiple times about Robert Coleman. He wrote a book, millions of copies called The Master Plan of, of Evangelism. evangelism. Uh-huh. But he also won, He also then wrote a, a subsequent uh, Master Plan of Discipleship. He did. But one of the great Robert Coleman quotes is he always says for us as Americans that the Great Commission is worship, but it's not obeyed. And what he means by that is that we all know, we, we know, we talk about it, we sing songs about it, we fill in the blanks in our note, note cards on Sunday mornings about it, but we don't obey it. We don't do it. And um, I, I think that's so, I think it really speaks, Pastor Chad, to the heart of kind of where we find ourselves in Western Christianity, is that for so many believers, they are indeed barren. And there's no such thing as a barren believer in the New Testament. It's That would be very paradoxical, very oxymoronic, right? Well, they've forgotten that they're a believer, according to Peter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you for, you've forgotten some if you're barren. Absolutely. So I just thought we would start today. We're going to look at really three passages today, Pastor Chad. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, which is our, our great commandment, okay. or excuse me, great commission passage. Uh-huh. John 15 and 8, and then Acts 1, 4 through 8. And Acts chapter 1, of course, is <clears throat> pre-birthday of the church. This is just Matthias replacing Judas. This is the disciples gathering together. Uh, this is Jesus ascending back to the Father. And John 15, of course, is the passage, and Jesus talks about, I'm the vine, you know, you're the branches, my father's the vine dresser. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, um, I've probably told this story before, but the legendary football coach, Vince Lombardi, um, he used to open each season a football season, and he would, you know, look at the Green Bay Packers, and he would hold out one hand, and he would hold in his hand, and he would start, gentlemen, this is a football. <clears throat> You've probably seen clips like that before. And, and the reason he did that is that he would always say, great, t- great coaches never take anything for granted. And that's how I feel about this episode is that it's very easy sometimes the more we're around the church world to think that people do understand the Great Commission and they right. understand that the Holy Spirit's role in making us disciple-making disciples. But the real- reality is not all quote-unquote believers or self-proclaimed believers are truly reproducing sure. right? the life of Christ. The Great Commission, commission Pastor Chad, to make, again, followers of Jesus. Uh, let's just quote it for a minute. Jesus, Matthew 28. He said, all authority has been given unto me, authority in heaven and on earth, right? 
And you therefore go, or as you're going, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you, and then his promises, and lo, I'm with you to the very end of the age. Amen. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about this pretty extensively, Pastor Chad, but there and again, just by way of review, it's very easy sometimes to look at that Great Commission passage and think that there are multiple verbs. We can see go, we can see make disciples, we can see baptizing, we can see teaching, but the reality is in our Koine Greek, which is our our New Testament Greek, mathetusate, which is make disciples, is really the only verb. The others are participles. And from an English perspective, participles gain their leading direction from the main verb, meaning we are to, in the heart of God, make disciples. And how do we do that? We do that as we're going, baptizing and teaching. And of course, intrinsic to the baptism is, is evangelism, right? Because you can't baptize non-believers. Yeah, so sharing the gospel is a part of that, right? But that making disciples is the heart. And Pastor Chad, let's just be honest, it, you know, just... Again, I, I don't want to. <laughs> somebody says you're coming in hot, <laughs> you know, here in the last episode. It's really amazing because if you look at the ministry of Jesus, the bookends of his ministry are really clear. His first commission to the disciples is, "Hey, follow me, not follow principles. Follow mm-hmm. me, and I'll make you fishers of men." Right. Therefore, we could say to follow Jesus means I'm. He's making me into a fisherman, which would say then, if I'm not fishing, am I really following? Right? Is my life really following Jesus if I'm not seeking and saving the lost, if I'm not fishing for people outside of my own world, right? To see come to the saving of Jesus. That's the beginning of their ministry. The end of their ministry, meaning pre ascension, the last thing he would say to them is the Great Commission, right? Well, really, the last thing would be, hey, go into Jerusalem and wait till you're clothed with power and high. Right. But simultaneous to that is this Great Commission passage. So, Pastor Chad, watch this. His ministry starts to the disciples. Follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. His ministry ends, go into the world, ethnes, and make disciples. And Pastor Chad, I've been at this over 20 years. Not just churches I've pastored, but ministries I've gone and spoke at. I asked the question, hey, I want you to take a sheet of paper out. And I want you to write down, don't give me a number. I'm asking you to give me a name, a first Mm -hmm. and last name of somebody you fished out of the world and you've discipled. And Mm -hmm. the, the sad reality, I think we know the stats, but the majority of all American Christians, and when I say majority, we're talking about over 90%, if George Barn is correct. Over 90% cannot write down a single name. Yeah. And that stark reality should kind of, it should land on our chest. It should hit us squarely in the face to tell us, and what are we doing? What are we doing? Mm-hmm. We're substituting our time with any and everything else other than really the heart and desire that God desires. So today we just wanted to talk about the Holy Spirit's relationship in our lives to ultimately make us, Pastor Chad, disciple-making disciples. So I was just going to start with this and I ask you a question. John 15, Pastor Chad, we've been in that passage many times during this uh, series and season because we're talking, you know, this is kind of Jesus' speech about the Spirit. But in John 15, 8, Jesus said this, By this my Father is glorified, what? By what? That you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Jesus' intention is that you and I bear much fruit. We will reproduce. Mm-hmm. Why is that so difficult for us in our Western context to be reproducing or multiplying disciples? So it's a loaded question. Well, there's there's no holding to accountability of it. You know, I mean, so many structures or, or people or ministers or churches if there's accountability involved, what they're being held accountable for is not that standard. 
right? Yeah. It's it's the other substance things of, you know, ensuring that there's enough money, finances, you know, ensuring that there's enough numbers, people coming, attendance. So it's those type of measurements. Metrics are metric metrics are incorrect or don't hold people accountable to disciple making. Yeah, we're using the wrong metrics, yeah, of of what we really should be holding each other accountable for, you know. So I think about sometimes I hear language of other people when they get around us behind closed doors. They'll make mention like, hey, so-and-so or you all, you know, people that are the real deal. Talking about like discipleship and, and things like that. And always make there's a qualifier, right? That's their qualifier language. The yeah. real deal or real Jesus. Correct. People, yeah. yeah. And and so, but what that means to me is why are we not saying to the other people, we question if you're the real deal? Because mm. that's really what you're saying. Yeah. You know, and you're differentiating Christian subcultures from true disciples. Right. Yeah. And so I think some, if there was more, hey, not just affirming where we see the main thing being the main thing, discipleship, but there was also more of a questioning on the broader landscape of Western Christianity. Hey, are you really following Jesus? Have yeah. you? And maybe you are, but but are you making it to the end? Like what you just quoted, Jesus said, when when you make it to the end of the yeah. process I'm taking, you're going to be fishers. Mm-hmm right, of persons, and you're going to be able to multiply this process. So, um, and the other thing is the hard thing of all of us, this is my vulnerability, it's your vulnerability, it's all of us humans' vulnerability, is we only know what we know. Mm. And so there is this subculture bubble that we can get stuck in yeah. where if this is all— not stupidity, it's more of ignorance. Yeah, it can, yeah. right? Yeah. It is a, at times a lack of knowledge destroys. Because there are many, and we've heard it, you can listen to, you know— more known people or ministries in the past or things like that. And and people did, in a sense, try to hold them accountable and ask the question. And you would hear statements like, well, I, I preach fifty time, 52 times a year, so my people are well discipled. Yeah. I'm discipling them every time from the pulpit. Yeah. So in their mind, in their bubble, they yeah, think crazy. that they're doing Jesus' method. Right. But then when you look to his measurements or other fruit, it doesn't line up. Yeah. So there is a lack of knowledge destroys, but then there is a lack of measurement and understanding of what the Lord's process is. Right. You know, you know one of the statements I always use, Pastor Chad, is if if I'm claiming I'm discipling people only by preaching sermons, it's like walking into the nursery, spraying all the babies with milk and claiming I fed them. Right. Well, that's not going to work, right? You got yeah. you got you got to really walk this out with folks. And and just be quite honestly, just think of how prideful or arrogant it is to think Okay, if we came to church for one and a half hours per Sunday for 52 weeks, I mean, put that at 80 hours. Jesus spent 24 hours a day for three years. So go ahead and right. do 365 times three, 24 hours a day. And he got, he's got one that made it to the cross with him. Yeah, one. You know? So, I mean, there, so if, if we think in our, in our arrogance that somehow 52 or 80 weeks or 80 hours per year is going to effectively disciple people, man, we have really right. lost our rockers. Right. So, yeah. yeah. Major disconnect. Absolutely. Well, Pastor Chad, uh, let me go to this book, uh, Robert Coleman. He, he wrote a book called uh, The Master Plan of Evangelism. If you've not read it, I really would encourage you to uh, read this book. It's not a long read. It's not a really complex read. It's not academic in any sense. It inspires discipleship. But um, this is what he said, Pastor Chad. He said, a barren Christian is a contradiction. A tree is known by its fruit. 
Fruitlessness was the thing lacking in the lives of the Sadducees and Pharisees, which made them so wretched in his sight. Mm. Point I wanted to make here is the Pharisees and Sadducees are a group that had mastered all the doctrines. They knew theological truths. They went to Bible studies out the wazoo, we could say. They knew every word to every worship song. They were in the synagogue whenever the doors opened, but they didn't have the life of Jesus in them. And the way that was evidenced, Pastor Chad, was that they didn't reproduce. So I went to this passage, Matthew 23, 15. We've read it. I know you've read it. But this is what he said. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And then when you've succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Mm-hmm. Well, Jesus, obviously not very politically correct there. Those are not yeah. those are not mixed words, right? And, and, and the you, point... <laughs> you don't get invited back to that system no, too often, do no. you? No, but but the point that I, I I guess I'm trying to make is that one of the things that we're that proves that we are disciples of Jesus is that we multiply. It's a proof, the proof in the pudding, if you will, and so definitely proof of mature disciple, without a doubt. Absolutely. So what I wanted to do today in this kind of episode is just look at two other places, Pastor Chad, in the Gospels where Jesus gives the Great Commission, draw some implications out for what that means for okay. us personally in uh-huh. terms of our relationship to the Holy Spirit. And practically, and I know most immediately some people say, Pastor Chad, they hear a teaching like this or a conversation and they say, well, I just don't have the person personality for this. I'm just mm-hmm. not outgoing. I hear that phrase about, okay? Or I don't like to talk to people. But the reality is it has nothing to do with our personality. Right. So the first one is Acts chapter 1. Okay, Jesus is about to send to heaven, right? And he's gathered with his disciples one time, gives them some kind of parting thoughts. Verse 6, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord... Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They want to use their last session with him to ask him about end times. <laughs> so, in so many ways. Well, they were ready to reign. Yeah. Right? They were ready to the, have yeah. the rewards. They want him to do a series on the book of Revelation, right? They want to know about the rapture. They want to know whether Kirk Cameron or Nicolas Cage or whoever are going to be left behind. And, um, and, th- and this is what they do. They come to Jesus on the Mount of Olives. Hey, Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Okay. But Jesus doesn't answer them, Pastor Chad. Instead, he does what my wife does when our kids ask her a question she doesn't want to answer. She redirects the question. I do this too as a parent. Verse 7, he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but, and this is what you should be thinking about, disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit's come on you, and you will be my, what's this word? witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Pastor Chad, thing I want to focus on for a moment, let's flesh out. The last identity Jesus emphasized before he ascends back to heaven is witness. Mm-hmm. That's what I want to focus on for a minute. Me and people feel like that's the identity that doesn't apply to them. I'm not an extrovert. I'm not like you, Pastor Chad. I'm not like you, Pastor Craig, or whatever the case is. And God made us. He knows us. He knows our personality. He's got a way for us to be witnesses, whether we're extroverted or introverted. And witness was the last identity Jesus commissioned with before he left. So think of all he could have said right there. You'll be my Bible studiers. You'll be my favorite worship song singers. You'll be my justice advocates. You'll be my tithers. Mm -hmm. But his ultimate marching orders are you'll be my witnesses. Pastor Chad, a barren Christian is a contradiction, right? It's a total contradiction. It's a problem. And what is that Greek word, witness? Know that word, right? Martoreo? 
which we get the English word martyr, right? It's the cognate to yeah. martyr. So the, the greatest martyrdom, so to speak, is someone who gives their life for Jesus Christ. That's oh, yeah. the same word here, martyreo, to witness. But, but let's talk about this for a moment. We're empowered, Pastor Chad, not to witness. We're empowered to be witnesses. Mm-hmm. Let's differentiate those for a moment, kind of flesh that out. What does it mean for the Holy Spirit to make us embodied witnesses? Yeah, well, it's, in, it's embodying the truth and grace that Christ has provided, meaning you're seeing truth demonstrated that resurrection power and life is available and that he who we follow that has overcame all things, that same power in us is able to overcome things mm. in our life. And so our life is witnessing to the lordship of Jesus, to the power of the resurrection, to him who has conquered the grave. And that's why you said that the fullest witness is martyrdom because the last enemy is death. Right. Yes. Yes. And and so you have the full expression of the victory through martyrdom, but we carry about the dying of Jesus every day in our bodies. Yeah. yeah because we're not living our life. We're not living on our own ability. Mm-hmm. We're living dependent on His life being manifested through us. Right. And so yeah. that is the being the witness. Is that man? Yes, I was right where you are. Or or without His power, I would be there. But his life in me has overcame that, mm-hmm. right? Just like the Apostle John tells them that young men and young women in faith said they've overcome the evil one because the Word of God abides in them. Mm-hmm. They didn't hear it one time, right? They didn't go to a Bible study one time. They're continuing to follow the Lord. They're continuing to John 15 to allow his Word to abide in them, and they are abiding in him. And so his life is growing in them, demonstrating his overcoming power. Mm-hmm. And that's what is relevant to people, right? Because, yes, obviously one day when we're at the great, great white throne judgment, eternity is going to be relevant in that in that moment. Mm-hmm. But right now what's so relevant to people is what about my issue? Yeah. What about my struggle? Can Christ help me overcome Yeah, now? what about my dysfunction, my addiction? And so that empowerment is being a witness that a new kingdom and power is available to yeah. men through Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. And that embodied truth. I mean, we could say it this way. The greatest apologetic, I love apologetics, but the greatest apologetic we have is a life transformed. That's it. Living epistle, right? Yeah, and it's the embodiment of the long haul. You know, I've been telling our church recently, Pastor Chad, just because it's part of my personal story is that I'm getting contacts from people that I've not had contact from in my high school years for 20 years. You know, I've been out 20 years, and it's not just one. It'd be okay if it was one, but it's happened multiple times. Mm -hmm. And the reality of that, truth is is really hitting me in the face right now is that mm-hmm. life life lived faithfully to Jesus makes an impact that could take decades yes before fruit is seen Pastor yes. Chad, I, I'm literally when I read this this week I like tears flowing down my face because it just makes me it makes me so messed up the average American so this is George Barna which is kind of the sociological critical research communicator of America the average American has to hear the gospel 21 times before they come to Christ. And I thought, so much of my discouragement in life is because I have most of the time been number one through 20. So, so many times in my mm-hmm. life, I've been number 17, or I've been number 19, or I've been number 11. Yeah. Somebody's going to be number 21. That's right. Somebody's going to reap that. And in, in, in the kingdom, in eternity, where I'm going to be able to look at that and say, man, I had a part in that. Of course, yeah. Didn't the, know I had a part in The Lord keeps perfect account. Right? It, it affects but that, the that is that's what Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit embodies us to do, empowers us to do, is to be witnesses. 
right? We're altogether different in our life, and our life is speaking of a greater reality. So what I thought we'd do, Pastor Chad, is taking those three passages, we've read them all, John 15, 8, Acts 1, Matthew 28. Let's just talk about four simple ways that you, listening, me, speaking, can become a disciple-making disciple. How can we become a disciple-making disciple? So number one, I just put join Jesus in what he's doing. Just join him. That's why it's called the Great Commission, because it's a cooperative mission. Certainly. Right? John 15, no longer do I call you servants. He said, the servant doesn't know what his master's doing, but I've called you friends. For that which I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. Earlier in John, John, Jesus had explained, Pastor Chad, we've talked about this, his own ministry philosophy. In John 5, I do nothing of my own initiative. What I see the father doing, I do. And the reality is, being a disciple, making disciple first means we have to join Jesus in what he's doing. And if you look at that passage in, in Acts chapter 1 that Luke writes, mm-hmm. <clears throat> verse 4, before Jesus sends to heaven, he tells them before they do anything, they need to wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. Do nothing, essentially, right? Do nothing until you're clothed with power from on high. Because Jesus already said in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. Of course, we have the Holy Spirit, Pastor Chad, when we get converted, right? We get born again. But as we talked about through this season, there is a second subsequent work of the Spirit, right? That Jesus mm-hmm. baptizes us in the Spirit to empower us for witness. Talk for a moment, Pastor Chad, about what you know about following God and, and the fact that we have to wait on Him to direct us oftentimes individually into ministry. Meaning, I'd like for us to flesh out for a moment, why do we have to ask the question, what is the Father doing, and where is the Father doing? Mm-hmm. Because if we, with the amount of opportunities that we have around us in ministry, if we don't get clear about what the Father's having us to do in this moment, we're going to burn out, or in some sense we'll get so frustrated we'll quit. So talk to us a little bit about why it's so important when we say join Jesus in what He's doing to be individually directed by the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Yes, Um so many things. First, Paul mentioned his sphere of ministry, meaning he knew that that he had a God-appointed sphere where he was graced, where God had called him and wanted to use him in it. And that obviously protected him mm-hmm. from moving outside of the grace and the calling and the empowerment of God in areas but it's also important because, you know, there's all kinds of parallels when you see the ways of Jesus that, you know, when he called the disciples, you know, the scripture sort of prophetically gives a, a big framework. There were some who were casting their nets and then there were some that was mending the nets. Mm-hmm. And so when it comes to the whole purpose, they're working together for the whole, but they each have their unique aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And without that, what happens is people begin to fight others and want others to do the specific role that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Okay? So when we're clear on the specific task of the overall discipleship-making multiplying process, it also frees us from judging wrongly other brothers and sisters because when you realize that I have a specific part, then that means someone else could have a specific part. It's not that everybody has the same part as me. You know, in Ephesians 4, it says that every 
part, every member does its part or role. And so that's very important. Jesus also in Scripture, he, he uses the language, go, come, and do this mm-hmm. in the discipleship-making process, meaning there are times where he gives a specific instruction to his follower to do this, mm-hmm. right? It's not everybody do this. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all evangelists? No. Yeah, it's a rhetorical question he answers. Right. So, or ask. Right. But you can't, if you're not intimately following the Lord and, and growing in relational dynamic with the Lord, hear his specific voice of, hey, do this. This is the specific role that I have for you. You know, I think it's so interesting that passage in John 5, I do nothing of my own initiative. That's mm-hmm. actually at the Solomon's uh, colonnade when he goes and he heals a man who's been in invalid for 38 years. And I often think about that, Pastor Chad, is there's times in like Mark's gospel where it says he went outside and he healed everybody. But that night he has to walk over invalid people, paralyzed people. There's a lot of sick people. Rumor mm-hmm. had it the angel would come down and stir the water. First one in would get right. healed. First one. And in. this man's like, ah, do you want to? Be, Jesus asked him, do you want to be made whole? Well, no, I don't want to be made whole. Well, of course, he, he's he's essentially ascertaining: Are you at a place where you realize I can heal you? The man doesn't get it. Right. Thank God he shows mercy regardless. Right. He gets up. He's healed. Right. He's he is transformed. But I think in that context, there were a lot of people that Jesus didn't heal at the Solomon's Colonnade at that pool. There's a lot of people he walked on. And, and that passage is simultaneous to Jesus' statement, I only do what I see the Father doing. Mm-hmm. So meaning it is so important for us individually to know that, man, there's so much opportunity, and opportunities come, become distractions, and they seduce us if we don't know what the Father's doing in our life right now. And I think that's the point I'm trying to get at here is yeah. how important it is in following Jesus and becoming a disciple-making disciple of how we hear from the Lord and know as your language, the sphere that mm-hmm. God has given us, but but to not be burnt out because in some sense we're trying to do everything. Well, yeah, I mean, there's all types of different types of good works, right, that Scripture highlights. But there were still people starving and dying through starvation while Jesus was on the earth. Mm-hmm. So Jesus wasn't called by the Father to, to feed every mouth even though devastation's happening. And so, and yet that's not a reflection of the heart of God. Yeah. It's a reflection that Jesus was operating on earth as a man dependent on the Spirit of God. And as a man dependent on the Spirit of God, he don't have enough time and ability to be everywhere at once and to meet all of the needs or do all the good works that needs to be done. Yeah. And that's the point of what you're saying. Yeah. When it, when it comes to uh, even creating a discipleship atmosphere or a discipleship context, when it comes to all the different aspects of the disciple making disciple and multiplying disciples, you know, process. There's not one person that's able to be in all the places and all the time and do all that's needed to be done. It ties into what you're saying is that if if on average someone needs to hear the gospel 21 times, mm-hmm. right? Well, I can't be in everybody's life in my sphere at all 21 times. Yeah. I'm to play uh, the part as the Lord leads me. But that's why this ties into this season of Holy Spirit leading. Mm-hmm. If you don't value and prioritize the ministry of God's Spirit, which is referred to like a wind, yeah. then how do you know which direction in the moment the wind of God's Spirit, which is obviously in accordance with the Father and the Lord and Jesus, yeah. leading us to do? We're trying to go north 
because we've always went north, and the Holy Spirit's saying, hey, in this moment, go south. Yeah, I need you as you are a witness uh, to sow a seed in this one, or I need you to harvest this one, or I need you to teach and instruct this one who confessed the Lord but have never heard the command to be water baptized. Yeah. Like the sensitivity of the role in the moment. And, you know, it ties into what we talked about before. Uh, if you don't know the gifts of the Spirit in your life, then it's very hard to know the sphere because there is so many opportunities. Yeah. And I mean, I can, we can always find things for people to do in a church context. Mm -hmm. But if if we can have the Holy Spirit actually reveal to people their spiritual gift, yeah. then we won't have to be the one always reminding them Correct. or encourage them or to do a good work. organization or Yeah, they'll have an inward empowerment of the grace and the gift, giving them a burden and a joy in expressing That's that. what I always say, Pastor Chad, is if the only ministry you do is scheduled by the church you attend, you're not really doing ministry, right? Well, you, That's the way it starts the process. Yeah, you're not to mature ministry, yeah. at least we could say. Right. Yeah. So I guess we could, before we go to point number two, what we're essentially saying is not everything that comes from heaven has your name on it, but something does. Absolutely. And you got to discern. It's your job by the precious Holy Spirit to discern and then get after it. Go yep. after it. Join Jesus in what he's doing, right? Number two, Pastor Chad, step to becoming a disciple, making a disciple. I just put pursue normal life. And I know that word normal is... Now, hold on, let yeah, me go say ahead. something. Yeah. Now, one of the things, though, this is where people try to use a false standard and get themselves off the hook, and they're not off the hook, especially a lot of leaders of context. They'll say, well, I'm hearing you, and so my part is, and then they'll say, like, just preaching mm -hmm. or just being an evangelist, but they're over a whole context. Mm -hmm. Well, that doesn't work, meaning if the Lord has you in an overseer place, of a, of a local church and a body of Christ, yes, you can't do it all, but as an elder and overseer, we are responsible to ensure that every gift and all that needs to be done yeah. can be done in that context. Yes, from leadership standpoint. From a, yes, mm -hmm. and, and in that local church. So that's an important distinguishing fact yeah, because that's good. Uh, a lot of times you'll hear leaders say, well, I'm doing my role. Okay, yes, but if you're not building a big enough foundational structure for all of the steps of discipleship making to take place, then you're not doing your row. You're siloed. You're yes. You're yeah. you're hindering the manifold wisdom of God's spirit through his people. Cool. Awesome. So, so number two. Yeah. So doing G joining Jesus and what he's doing. Number two, pursue normal life with gospel intentionality. And what I mean by that is, is it is in Matthew twenty eighteen as you're going. Yeah. Right? Start going. The implication is that life already has us going in lots of different places, right? That's the implication of Jesus. And as we go, we should make disciples, meaning we got to pursue. And when I say normal, that's a very loaded term, but you understand what I'm trying to get well, at Well, one here. would be, Paul said, is it not also our right to take a wife like Peter and the other yeah. apostles? Yep. That, that's as Peter's going through life, he's got a wife. He's that's got right. marital duties and responsibilities. Absolutely. And I, don't, I know we don't have visuals here, but imagine just with me. Imagine uh, we, we like circle graphs or pie charts. I used to teach math. So imagine your life is like a circle graph or a pie chart, and you were slivering out your pie chart. Normally, here's how most people think. They think, oh, a good portion of it, family. Uh, this portion here, work. This one here, church. This one here, school. This one here, finances. This one, shopping. This one, vacations. But if I could flip that or remix that, Pastor Chad, mm -hmm. in, in, in this kind of episode— what if instead of thinking of it that way, we saw the center of the circle making disciples, 
and then out were arrows, and we were making disciples in our family, making disciples in this portion, which is work or the pie, making disciples in the church, making disciples while at school, making disciples in the way I handle my finances, in the what I do on vacations, or in how I'm approaching shopping, meaning the central part, the centrifuge, so to speak, is God's already got me going in all these different places, but I need to make sure I'm intentional. That's the mm-hmm. point here, gospel intentionality. Like I'm intentional with playing my part in making the disciples within that sphere than I'm currently operating, right? Mm-hmm. And and I would say, Pastor Chad, our college ministry right now, young adult ministry led by Pastor King and Jessica, they're doing a fabulous job. I would say, I don't know, maybe we you disagree. Have. I would say they're doing the best job in this church uh, demographically of, of disciple-making. Part of that's basic, basically... Sociological. Sociological, right? Where, where they're at, yeah, physical... Uh, development human yes but i heard one i heard a young adult say the other day they and this is just interesting they said you know about 70 or 80 percent of discipleship is informal and what they what they were getting at is yeah sure there are things like classes and books and we do that we do growth phases there's all this but discipleship really at the end of the day is doing normal life with intentionality it is every day jesus taught some things formally like think sermon on the mount but a lot of what it was taught in the moment, helping one of the disciples process their fears or walking them through their errors in thinking. And at the end of the day, <clears throat> I'm thinking how much my life was impacted, Pastor Chad, when I first became a disciple, before I was a reproducing disciple, of how people who didn't necessarily see my life as their one mission but in their everyday life, when they were rubbing shoulders with me, mm-hmm. they're constantly depositing spiritual truth. They're constantly depositing something of eternal significance. And boy, man, with those things add up over over decades, right? They mm-hmm. ultimately, those small little decisions make us into the types of people God wants us to be. But it's just somebody being intentional. So let's talk just for a moment. Just address that. Why people can hear this? Oh, how four step process to becoming a disciple making disciple? Oh, it's more. I don't. I can't put more on my schedule. What does it mean to attach that intentionality to everyday life? Yeah. Well, it's what the kingdom's about. It's what the missional impulse uh, is um, of as you're going, Mm -hmm. be involved in what Jesus is doing, which is making mature, multiplying disciples. And so... It's not what's helped you an be, add-on. It's it's what's this. helped you be atten- attentive to that. Yeah, it's as I <laughs> kept following Jesus and actually began to know Him more and more. And when you know Him more and more, only then can you actually see Him in here. Mm. And it, and it is an aspect of mystery and can't explain it all. But without communion and actually communing with the Lord, you you can't actually see all that's here. Mm. And the best way we know that is Jesus told the Pharisees and said, you have eyes, but you can't see, and ears, but you can't hear. Meaning, once I continue to have the rhythms of spiritual disciplines in my life and just keep pursuing the Lord in due time, He grows you, right? Yeah. He renews our mind. He heals our dysfunctions. And the more that happens, the more we're able to see Him clear. clear. And the more we're able to see Him clear and experience Him clear, we see then how Scripture backs up yeah. what we're experiencing in Him. And so the rhythms... And looking at what's already in your life as a consistent rhythm. And it's not adding something new to your life. It's how can you now see what's already existing in your life 
and it's already a habit, a rhythm in your weekly schedule, daily schedule, monthly schedule. And how can you now see that through a missional lens? So early on at Dwelling Place Movement, we we ministered on what we call dove eyes and missional living. And so it's not changing every habit or everything in our life, but how can I see what's already in my life through a new lens? Mm-hmm. So for me, one of the responsibilities I always had you know, to the people of God is is going to the bank and depositing the Lord's money in, in, in the bank. Well, that was something that happened every week. Yeah, post-Sunday. No, yes. Yeah. Normally on the same day, and I was in a rhythm the same time. Well, guess who's also there then at the same time? Same teller, the yeah. workers. And so I just began to see these common, repeatable occurrences that I had with mm-hmm. people in common day common weekly routines and said, okay, what is it now when I see that through a missional impulse? Yeah. Yeah. And then you add Jesus to the conversation. You add, can I pray for you to the conversation? Right. You, you add questions like, how are you doing? Do you attend church anywhere? You're, you're just utilizing. It's sort of like what the Lord asked Moses. Moses is Pharaoh's army's coming. Red Sea in front of him. He's thinking, how do I change things? How do I get out of this? And the Lord says, what's in your hand? Staff. What's already in your rhythm? Where are you already repeatedly engaging? So for us, you know, as the kids were born and and the kids growing up, you had sports. Mm -hmm. So you're there, same practice, same time every day. You're engaging people. It is a circuit. Yeah. And I you can't just say, begin I mean, to see it missional. I, it is over hundreds of conversations I've had with folks because I've detailed over a thousand cars <laughs> in the last eight years. All right. I'm a little over a thousand fifty. I, I can tell you, Pastor Chad, hundreds of conversations. And in some sense, you know, I've all since since church planning, I've always been bivocational or co-vocational. And even in the future, if I ever got to a place from a financial fiscal standpoint, there would be no need. I think I'm so wired into it now in terms of everyday engagement with people that are in a different business or stratus or vertical that it it does something for me to consistently have gospel intentionality with people that I just do never I just never get around other than through business right mm-hmm. and and so I thought what would be good before we move to point three is just put some flesh and give some practical things so a couple things I'd written down is Pastor Chad people that are listening today maybe they can't teach like us because they're not gifted teachers right. but they can invite someone in their life to learn to observe how they are as a follower or a family member or a servant so this is one i put down if you're thinking of a way to do it why don't you get together with someone once a week and do your quiet time together take a younger disciple who's only a couple weeks old or a couple months old in the lord and invite them into your quiet time and let them watch you real mm-hmm. simple gospel intentionality uh here's another one so simple ride to church together instead of just going and Driving separate, go pick up the guy that's new to the Lord and let yeah, him talk to you. Jesus was always by two, right? Yeah. Um, another one is go on a mission trip together. Serve with serve in the student ministry together. Take somebody under your wing and say, hey, would you watch me lead a connect group? Um, invite that person to pray with you before work one day a week. So just get them on the phone. Just something very simple. Get them on the phone. to just. In other words, just do normal life yeah. as you go with intentionality. Right, mm-hmm. which means though, Pastor Chad, we can't be, we got to be reflective, right? So we can't skim through our lives, or else we never will be proactive. Mm-hmm. We'll just respond to things all day. We're reactionary living. So to live with gospel intentionality does mean you got to create some margin to think. Which is why sanctification is part of God's divine design. That's why you have to move in dealing with transformational formation realities because 
you, you can't just stay in survival mode, right? Because yes. survival mode then begins to affect us mentally and even physiologically where we're in, you know, fight, fright, and flight mode constantly. Yeah. We're not in the the rhythm of grace to be sensitive and intentional in a moment that maybe this mishap, yeah. maybe this inconvenience is more about who now I'm before Correct. than the inconvenience to me. To me, yeah, personally. Yep. Maybe the inconvenience is actually a setup for being a part of what the Lord's doing, disciple-making, and that means he's seen a person that's been asking, God, are you there? Jesus, do you care? He sees a seeker, yes, and he knows that you're in proximity to that seeker, yep. and he's got to align the, that contact because yep. how can they believe unless they hear? Yeah, and, and how can they hear unless someone's sent? That's it. Yeah, that's what I think all the times it brings about a humility, thinking, oh, this person, God, who desperately wants to be there for, and he's like, Hey, is there anybody close? Oh, there's Craig. There's Craig. He's one of my own. All right, let's get ready, get ready, because this person, you know. And so the, the point is, is the the orchestration, if you will, mm-hmm. the orchestration of God and his divinity and beauty is that we and Pastor Chad, we as we as a we as Christians, we hold something in our evangelism that every human heart desires that no other world religion holds. And that's really two core truths. One is that we we believe in the beauty of people. I mean, gee, like, aren't people something? They're amazing. They're made in the Mago day. Yeah. People are awesome. Made by God. Right? Inherent, full of dignity. They're ama- People are amazing, but they're also broken, and they're so broken. Sin affected. They, they, they do so many things that keep them often from seeing or experiencing that beauty because of the shame and guilt. And mm-hmm. and, and and listen, every world Self religion. Wrath. Yeah, every world religion. Some world religions will focus on the beauty. And not the brokenness. Some world religions will focus on the brokenness of humans and not the beauty. And Jesus is the only one mm-hmm. who's able to look at someone and say, "You're broken, but I love you and I'll save you." And that's what that's what satisfies every human heart. Mm-hmm. And if we're just sensitive enough in our everyday life, when we walk up to the cashier or the clerk, and the life of God's drained out of them, and we'll just slow down enough, just to simply ask, you know, the Lord put it on my heart. I didn't even told you this, but I'm going to do it because yeah. He put it on my heart this week is we're just going to walk this street here at Springfield. I'm just going to take whoever wants, and I'm going to knock on every door and ask if I can pray for any one of them, anything, mm-hmm. anything they want prayer about, prayer about a family, prayer about a situation. But just to start simple gospel intentionality, mm-hmm. door knocking, to say, hey, there's a community and somebody knows. And God gets invited into that situation because we are as embodied witnesses, right? Yeah. That's how God does get invited into yep. it. Together workers with him, Paul yep. said Absolutely. in 2 Corinthians. So point number three of, of making uh, becoming a disciple, making a disciple, Pastor Chad, I just used the old phrase, WWJD. <laughs> and when I was in high school, it was real, real big. What would Jesus do? Well, there's a new companion bracelet out I've seen now. I saw it today at the church I was at, and it was HWLF. And what is that? It's he would love first. What would Jesus do? HWLF, he would love first. So John 15, Pastor Chad, he said, um, a new commandment I give to you, you love one another, just as I've loved you, you're to love one another. And he says this, by this, verse 35, all people will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Mm-hmm. The point I want to make here is that the excessiveness of my love, your love for people is how the world will know you're my disciples. And that's why it applies to a lot of us who wonder how can we be a part of the disciple-making process is that we are 
go back to what you just said with sanctification. Why does God want us to be sanctified? Because only sanctified people really have enough space in their life to be loving towards others. Of course. Right? There's no margin yeah. if you're just surviving or, yeah. You know, um, Rosaria Butterfield, Pastor Chad, do you know that name? Rosaria, I don't. Rosaria Butterfield wrote a book, uh, and I just wanted to share this because I think it matters in our modern context. Uh, she wrote a book years ago called The Gospel Comes with a House Key, hmm. and she makes the case that in today's de-churched and post-Christian kind of age, the home is our most important instrument of evangelism. And, and this is what she says. If you don't know, Rosaria was a practicing lesbian. She was outspoken feminist. Uh, she's a professor at Syracuse University. She wrote, she's wrote in three, written three books that are all fabulous. But practice le- practicing lesbian, and she wrote on critical theory and the intersectionality that kind of still gets referenced in the, the academy world today. When the light, late 1990s, I want to tell you this story. There was a Christian movement, Pastor Chad, you know this, called Promise Keepers oh, yeah. of men, right? Yeah. They came to her town, Rosario Butterfield's town, and it was a movement that emphasized the need for Christian men. It okay. spoke to women most of the time, but Promise Keepers is about Christian men yeah. stepping forward in their leadership as husbands and fathers. Well, she wrote a blistering piece <laughs> in her city newspaper about the movement. She said it was backwards and it was bigoted and and she got all kinds of responses. Well, she said there were no neutral ones. They were either filled with like, you know, fawning praise or had an angry, how dare you tone. So she tells us in her book, she filed the responses in two categories, all the love you ones in this pile and all the hate you ones in this pile. Well, she said one afternoon she opened up a letter from a local pastor and she genuinely couldn't figure out, this is so powerful, which letter pile to put it in. Mm. Because he strongly disagreed with her, mm-hmm. right? But it was so full of love and respect that she had no idea, what pile do I put this in? So she said, I just left it on my desk, f- stared at it for a few weeks. Eventually, she called up the pastor and she said, can I meet with you? I've got some questions. And she invited her um, you know, to his house, or he invited her to his house for dinner. She said, my lesbian partner didn't understand why I was going. She was dating a, a woman at that time. Mm-hmm. She said, I- I'm just going to go to do research. That's it. I'm going to do research for the next critical thing I want to write about evangelical Christians. She said, I showed up ready for debate, but what overwhelmed me about this pastor and his wife was their hospitality. This is what she said. There were so many people coming to their house, it was as if the front door didn't actually exist. Hmm. And what this pastor was doing was just living a life of gospel hospitality. Hmm. Well, she becomes a regular house guest there. She keeps going, talking more. Make a long story short, through their love, a pastor and his wife, she eventually comes to faith in Christ. And when she writes the book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key, she makes the point that in today's climate, American climate, she says hospitality is probably the main way that people outside the church, especially if they're hostile to the church, mm. will be will literally be reached for Jesus. It's one of the primary ways that Scripture commends reaching out for people. It's how Jesus did it, and that's what she makes a case in this book. Just read the Gospel of Luke. Jesus literally eats his way through the Gospel of Luke. The whole narrative is being surrounded or framed by these meals that Jesus in, which is amazing, amazing Christianity. So my point is, Pastor Chad, how could we, in disciple-making disciples, be more hospitable with our lives? hospitable with our tables, mm-hmm. hospitable with our homes. You know, we're going to do a series this June at Dwelling Place called Dinner with Jesus. That right. We're really going to get at this. Mm-hmm. How do we create hospitable environments to let seekers come and ask questions, yeah. talk to us? Do you want to talk and flesh that out a little bit from your own experience of 
Well, yeah. What the hosp- what welcoming in the stranger really looks like? What does it mean to love like Jesus loves? Yeah, well, you know, in the beginning of starting the church that you you have nobody, right? So you're constantly inviting people into contexts that you're providing to see where they're at on the journey or if they're interested in Jesus in the journey and so um the the question for the you know the people listening probably most is it's just like the bank thing or other things we said it's what are you already doing repeatedly mm. where you can attach attach the missional impulse of of being a witness in that well if you're if you're eating as a family daily or even multiple times a week yeah you can invite someone into that already pre-established yeah. ready habit in context right. right and um it, it can also be vacations if you if you take vacations certain time of the year you can always invite someone to vacation with you mm. there's all types of ways you just have to take a moment and look at the consistent habits or rhythms in your life yearly quarterly monthly weekly and daily okay and when you get clear on some of those repeatable ones say okay how lord jesus can i partner with your impulse and heart for people missional impulse Mm. to be a witness in these things yeah and that's where it starts and i guarantee you you do that the holy spirit will start highlighting the already pre-ready context oh, that you're already right? Workers in are few. to utilize for no fruitfulness. No harvest problem out there. No. No harvest problem. And, I mean, the, yeah, the devastation of sin and dysfunction in our world right now, yeah, the harvest is very plentiful. You know, Pastor Chad, it's so central to Christian ministry. I don't ever think about it this way, but Paul said it's actually a requirement of being a leader in the church. The phrase is, he must be given to hospitality. And yeah, and and respectable to outsiders, right? But that that's the key. Is it is central to ministry? Is mm-hmm. that our lives have to be accessible? Last thing I'll say, we'll go to point four and kind of close this down. Yeah. But when I was in a, at Lee, um, I was in a church. I was in a church context mm-hmm. where um, this is why you're attending. Yeah, Lee? so I was okay. attending Lee. Uh-huh. I was in a church context, and, and, and based on our weaknesses and, and environments that we we find ourselves in, it kind of conditions our leadership. Yeah. Framework, right? Sure, of course. So I was in a ministry class called Pastoral 404, which is leadership and ministry. Okay. I never forget Dr. Doolittle. Isn't that funny? Dr. Doolittle, Tom Doolittle, love him. Got up on in front of the whiteboard and he said, Hey, I want everybody, let's class participation, 30-something students. We're going to write down what do you think are the most important characteristics of a spiritual leader? Well, I mean, it's a big deal. You could start writing all kinds of words. Integrity, <laughs> character, love for God, faithfulness. And i never forget, because of the environment I was in, I raised my hand and I said, Dr. Doolittle, I'm going to tell you, from my perspective, the number one key ingredient is accessibility. Well, everybody looked at me in that room. They're like, accessibility? Are you serious? There's so much more. Th-. And the reason I said it is because at that point in my life, I had not been around leaders who were hospitable. Hmm. I had not been around leaders right. who were accessible. They delegated, empowered, gave away ministry, but never were accessible to people. Jesus was accessible to people. Now, he can't be accessible at all times in the sense that he can be at all places at once. He's one body. But this whole idea of opening our lives 
to other individuals, outsiders, having mm-hmm. relationship, being able to slow down enough, mm-hmm. like Jesus, look at people in the face, ask them questions at a third grade level. Mm-hmm. Pastor Chad, let's just be honest. That's hard in our modern context. And in so many ways, the temptation of Western ministry has tempted or moved us towards ministry becoming so impersonal, right? Lacking that personal touch. Now, we obviously can't have that personal touch as we scale and ministry leadership. I get all those dynamics, but what often kind of, to me, limits people from having key effect. Pastor Chad, I preached at a church just this morning, Mm -hmm. okay? You know what happened when we got in the car today, coming here? My kids said, both of them in the back seat. They went to middle. Marley's not middle school, but she went to the middle school ministry. Okay. <laughs> she loved it. And my, my well, Harper, she's close. Yeah, I mean, and my yeah. Harper went up to, to elementary. Mm-hmm. You know what they said? Daddy, everybody at that church loves you. And I joke and I said, what do you mean? They, were, they just so much loved you at camp. And I mean, they were just on and on and on. And I said, well, that's very kind. I said, Marlene Harper, I just, we had a, God did a great work this week or this past summer when we were there. And you know what Harper said? Seven years old. She said, Dad, all the teenagers told me that what they loved so much about you at camp was that you played with them during the day and didn't just preach to them at night. Mm-hmm. That's hospitality, mm-hmm. right? And I'm not saying that you know my heart here to prop me up. I'm just saying that's what people are longing for. Mm-hmm. They're longing for accessibility. They're longing for an embodied witness. People in our world are trying desperately to look for people who can give them an authentic witness of what it means to follow Jesus in a 21st century world. And so when you and I mm-hmm. actively take intentional steps to just invite people into our lives, boy, mm-hmm. I think I think we would see we'd see a whole lot more transformation take place. So Of course. You know, and and um, you know, and I guess any final thoughts there before we go to our last point. Well, I mean, yeah, it's just if 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 someone's not clear on the main values and impetus of of Jesus's model disciple making, then they can't navigate through some of the difficulties of tension of what you just said. Mm. But once once you get it boiled down to to main non negotiables of discipleship making, then regardless of what season you're in, it's just ensuring that those values are still being expressed through your life mm. in some way. Right, so you got to remember the 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 twelve apostles of Jesus at one point were outsiders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. So oh yeah, all of them. So when when he's meeting with them twenty four seven, right, he's meeting with people that used to be outsiders, and then there became the seventy, and then there became the hundred and twenty, and so yeah, what what Jesus did at times looked different, but the value and the impetus of the process never left his life, mm. never left what he did. And that's the same thing for you. Mm. Some people are so scared. They're saying, well, if I start I- I- inviting people to dinner, because that's a rhythm maybe yeah. your household has, well, what happens if I move? Yeah. I mean, what happens? Well, <laughs> planting seed, watering seeds, a worthy, worthwhile oh, yeah. work. Of course. And Regardless, guess what? Yeah. Even if you move, you can do it again with new people. New people, yeah. It's just as... Intentional disciple-making people, we keep these non-negotiables of what it takes to slowly see people moved, right, from an outsider to a believer, but then a mature, multiplying Amen. believer. Amen. You know? Amen. Awesome. Here's the fourth and final step. <clears throat> so that one was, what would Jesus do? He would love first. 
Fourth and finally, serve both locally and abroad. Pastor Chad, the one one in a focus here is Acts one eight, kind of gives us the outline for our mission. Yeah, he says witnesses in Jer- Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So Jerusalem would be our local city, right? Judea would be kind of our country. Samaria would represent those places closest to us, but where people are culturally separate distinct. from us. That's a good point. That's right. Refugees, yeah, yeah they're distinct. Immigrants, minority communities, tension, yeah. because Walls. that's where Samaria yeah. was. Uh-huh. And then the ends of the earth would be unreached people groups around the world, which there's still seven thousand four hundred thirty-four of. There is some of them, Pastor Chad. When I was reading Joshua Project this week, to over two thousand, and they they say have less than five adequate witnesses to the gospel in their whole people group, meaning less than five believers in those 2,000 groups. So they may have like one individual, mm-hmm. and they're still considered a UPG. And oh, they are? Group. I didn't yeah. know they still considered them like that. Yeah, I see. yeah. It's meaning there, there's a need for greater multiplication. Well, because the, the witness is not large enough for the culture? Correct. Okay. Correct. So God call, So, so the point that I want to make here, Pastor mm-hmm. Chad, is that God calls us, and I shared a lot of this last summer with you, but God calls us to be witnesses of, of, of disciples in those places simultaneously. I used to always think it's like, oh, do a good job of being in Jerusalem, right. then go to Judea, then you can do some air in the ends of the earth. But what's so powerful about that is I think we should never feel the pull to try to choose between local and global. Like as faithful Christians, we can do both, right? Yeah. And um, I've heard it said, Pastor Chad, the light that shines the farthest will also shine the brightest at home. Meaning, um, our mission there should be an extension of what we're doing here. We shouldn't be doing mission out there and then neglecting our own families or our own homes, our own Jerusalem, so to speak. Yeah, I think that's, in my experience of observing Christendom, that's more the danger Okay, to me. Is is. The idea, the mentality of leaving what you know or where you're at and going somewhere else, but then not having a witness back at home. Yes. I think that's more the danger. Yeah. 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 I don't see people in, in my conversation observing Christmas that neglect or at least aren't conscious or aware of global needs missionally. Yeah. But I do see people that are willing or wanting to travel land and sea or go away and then neglect what we're talking about of embodied right. witness more. And in so many ways, I mean, think of psychological, you know, Abraham Maslow of needs, hierarchy of needs, that oftentimes the way we can meet self-actualization or gospel needs is by first meeting physical needs, whether you're serving in third world countries or people mm-hmm. that are hungry. It's hard to hear the gospel in your stomach's ground, so Certainly. to speak, right? But at the same time, I'll just pl- say it plainly, it's unkind for us, Pastor Chad, as Christians, to give our money and time to meet people's physical needs and not accompany that with the news about a Savior. Of course. That's unkind. That's unloving, right? Imagine someone that had discovered the cure for colon cancer or Alzheimer's, and they just never shared it with the world. Like, that would be cruel. We have a solution, right? And at the end of the day, we have the solution. Our, we're not the solution. No. We have the news to the solution. So, Pastor Chad, I told you, 7,000 over 400 unreached people groups. Mm-hmm. And a UPG, this is what Joshua Project, I'll just read it, means a group of people in the world who, as it stands now, likely will die without ever hearing a presentation of the gospel. For many of these unreached groups, there's not even a copy of the Bible in their language. The vast majority, 85% of the least reached groups, live in the 1040 window, which is Asia, North Africa, Middle East. And get this, less than 4% of Christian missionary work is focused on those people. 96% of our mission efforts are focused on places where there are churches on every corner. 96% of our efforts. Yemen, I read this week, Yemen has a population of 8 million. It's the size of 
that's I mean we're five point five in Metro. Yeah, 5. I mean, it's basically what we are about to be. Yeah, in Atlanta, there are twenty known believers in Yemen. Gracious, twenty known believers, eight million people. Mm. And I am grateful for every single one of you that are listening, watching today, who feel called to serve here in America. But I will never stop asking, why are there so few willing to say, hey, just is it a possibility? I'm not saying it is. I'm not saying God's called you to it. But how many people are just willing to say in a possibility, Lord, how could my life make an impact? Do you want me to? Holy Spirit, do you want me to move? Do you want me to engage? Do you want me to leverage my resources? Do you want me to help be involved in Bible translation? I mean, just something Mm -hmm. that puts us local, but abroad. How, do, yeah. how does it happen? Well, both you know ends. how you're talking about both ends. What, yeah. what I've seen in, in my experience personally and then observing as a leader that serves the body of Christ is those who go ahead and go in some form or fashion overseas only helps fuel their witness locally. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, I, I don't see, I've not, I mean, I'm sure it happens, but <laughs> rarely have I heard or seen someone go to the world, the ends of the earth, or, or the Samaria, and then come back and be less missional at yeah. home. Yeah, I don't, I don't see that. Yeah, uh, It stirs them. It, it provokes them to draw closer to the Lord, to grow in Him, to mature in Him, to ask, hey, Lord, do more in me. Mm-hmm. Deal with more sanctificational issues so that I can be, like Timothy said, a vessel at use and ready for the Master as He has need, yeah. as He wills. Yeah. Send me where you will or do with me what you want. But there's got to be that preparation. And so for some of you, it just starts with, hey, Lord, I want to be a part of the bigger discipleship process. And I know that first means I got to abide in you and you abide in me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, are you seeking him through the word daily? Are you drawn close to him and talking to him? But in engaging in formative transformational habits and rhythms and out of that, then start being missional with the current rhythms of your life. Mm-hmm. And who knows? I mean... Boy, doesn't it get addictive when you oh. see the Lord use you to win somebody <laughs> out of darkness? Well, it's just amazing because um, when His life works through you, you never feel uh, as... Let me put that, when the Lord works through you, when His life flows through you, that's as live as you ever feel. Spiritual nourishment. Yeah, that's John what Jesus 4, said, I have, right? I have food that you yeah. know not of. And so that's the amazing thing about the Lord's goodness is that when we're used of Him, there's also benefit for us, right? Now, there's, of course, sufferings and, and things like that. But the people that are suffering in obedience to Jesus, there's a joy that you cannot buy. Hmm. There, there's a uh, eating that you cannot go find on any menu. Yeah. You know, a polycarp, and, and I think it was this this week you posted yeah. about that. When when he's given his life for the Lord, he ain't doing it depressed. No, 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 no. <laughs> I said, so Pastor Chad, here's the thing I, I've often asked is, I wonder if at the end of time when we stand before the Lord, if he doesn't ask, if the question he asks is not, hey, did you abstain from all sin? But what if the question he asked me is, hey, Craig, did you ever enter into the full joy that was made available to you? That's a good question. That's it. Did you really, did you really partner with me and experience the joy and the spiritual nourishment I bring when you do what you're created to do. And boy, if we just live the gospel of sin management oh. and just survive, survive. It's no fun. Lord, please don't help me to help me not sin. Help me not to sin. Oh, Lord, I sinned again. I'm going back to church. Oh, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin. Oh, I sinned again. And we live in this cycle cycle where where 
the people that are listening today, the goal of God for them is to rise spiritually, not just avoid sin. Of course. Right? To yeah. be an effective witness. And boy, I'm telling you, it is unbelievably, and I say this in the best addicting way, but it is unbelievably fulfilling and strengthening. Well, it's what you were created in Christ Jesus for. Excuse me, right? Those good works. And uh, I know for me, and, and you know, if if you can take this series and, and all that we've shared, you know, you listeners about the Holy Spirit, and and really let the Holy Spirit through Jesus help you get more clear on the role you can play. Meaning, once you see more clearly your gifts or your calling or your role, it becomes fuel to deal with the hang-ups, the hindrances, the dysfunctions, or things that would seek to try to hold you back mm. from being missional. Mm. Meaning, in the Old Testament, I always use the story of um, when a person died and, and they got thrown into the dead bones of Elijah and they came alive. Mm -hmm. And I always look at sort of the spiritual significance of how that can be applied is sometimes you got to get around dead and hurting things. Yes. To stir where the life and yes. anointing of God and Absolutely. calling of God's within where you. Where sin abounds does stirred. grace abound much more. It there. gets stirred in you. And then that gives you a passion to deal with things that's trying to hold you back from living mission. Amen. Amen. And I, I, that's what I've always said is that if I, if I ever look and take inventory of my life when I'm spiritually dry or really arid, really dry, barren, if I look and I ask myself the question, hey, am I in good relationship with people that are far from God? Normally in my dry seasons, the answer to that question is always no. Hmm. But what impacts my prayer life, what impacts my everyday living is when I have people that I'm close to that are on their way to hell. Right? You're talking about an inconvenient truth. Inconvenient mm -hmm. truth is someone who dies without Christ is going to a crisis sure. eternity. That don't really impact you if you don't have relationships with people who are going there. Right, yeah, well, yeah, it just stays up here, right? Right. You don't feel it here. Correct. And so, so much of our, our even personal prayer life gets driven outside of personal preferences when we're daily interacting and doing the mission Jesus has called. It affects how we pray. Yeah. I mean, we start picking up and, you know, oh, Mother yeah. Teresa said this, Pastor Chad, she said, she said that our hearts should so break that they the hole becomes so big that the whole world falls in. And what Mother Teresa was saying is that there is there is a conspiracy towards evangelical mediocrity. If you just and, and I want you to hear me, please hear me. I I'm, I know it's just straightforward, but listen to me. In American churches, you need to hear me. If you live inside the bubble of American Christian subculture where you are in cities where churches do everything possible to meet your whims and desires and do everything possible through programming to make you and all of your needs met, you will by default move on that missional continuum to a place of full comfort, which is rarely where Jesus' ministry ever was. <laughs> and the reason being is not because you're bad. The reason is being is because there is a conspiracy towards evangelical mediocrity that locks us in to a sense of comfort and ease mm -hmm. that makes us think Christianity is about us and not me being a witness. Pastor Chad, We've been in, we've been in, we've been in since relaunch for eight years, and and you just think about this. Part of living in Atlanta is that there's a transient nature to that. Some people come right. and some people go. Yeah. But listen, watch this. Some people have left our church over worship style in eight years. Some people have left over kids ministry. 
Some people, Pastor Chad, have left over the fact that women preach. We've had people stand up while a woman walks to the pulpit and leave out of this room. I've watched it with my own eyes. Some people leave because of small group ministry. Never once in the eight years have I ever had anybody come up to me and say, Pastor Craig, I'm leaving your church, leaving the dwelling place, because you guys just don't love and win people to Jesus like the ministry of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And what that tells me is that our whole evangelical Christian consumerism system is so jacked up mm-hmm. that when it comes to our preferences of when or why we are committing or not committing to a church, right. it doesn't even enter people's minds in the top five of why you should pick a church, right. of whether or not you should be in a church that's faithful to fishing people out and making disciples. Yeah, That's how much consumerism has sunk its fangs into our, yeah. our models. Wrong filters, wrong measurements. Right. And so if we will be honest, just like when you first came to the Lord, I know when I first came to the Lord, if you'll be honest and not just allow the this Christian subculture you're in to kind of throw the wet blanket on it, but get along with the Lord and read the Bible. I mean, I, I caused a lot of ruckus, but yeah. I was doing it because I sure wasn't going to settle for Yeah. I'm telling you. Average stuff. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. If you would if you would get along with the Lord and engaging scripture and allowing him to speak to your heart, you will start very quickly contending for the type of life that Jesus wants you to live. And I and, and my encouragement to you today is let that fire grow. Please. Whatever you do, whatever you do, do not allow that to be wet blanketed or dissipate in any way, shape, or form. That God does. He does. He does want you to be a, be and become a disciple-making disciple. That's his heart and desire. He does. So. He does. Any final thoughts you have? I know I got a little fired well, up. Well, I so. mean, you just, you know, when you embrace the seed of Christ and God's Spirit in your heart and you move forward in obedience to that nudge, you never know the long-term, you know, fruit of multiplication. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, just take that next step. Had great. Great sort of testimonies come in this week of the things that we're talking about happening and starts in one, they do it in another, then that other's in a context to do it for many. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just, you you never know the long-term fruitfulness and multiplication when you take that next step, but you have to fan the flame. You have to do what he just said. You have to take that next step and contend earnestly for the true apostolic faith handed down once and for all, which is the embodiment of being a supernatural witness, following the Lord and making mature disciples. Amen. And if I can just challenge you on this, do you see people this way? And if you don't, ask the Holy Spirit. Seriously, think about this. When you go into your workplace or your school place, you should be able to look at somebody and with a uh, what I call redemptive imagination, start thinking, who in the world could that person be if they would surrender their life to Jesus, if Jesus would take away their sin, they become the righteousness of God in Christ, their gifts get deployed, their destiny gets deployed, their gifts get used for the kingdom of God, and they get to use to build and advance the kingdom. Imagine who they could be if that happened. That's the way we have to see people. We have yeah. to see them with understanding God, you're putting them in my life. I'm going to be an effective witness, and then I'm going to redemptively imagine what would that person's life yeah. look like if they were really effective for the kingdom of God, and then be able to speak to that in people, right? Yeah, how I many, think that's how, what the love believes the best yeah. applies, is that you see the end of what the Lord could do in and through a person if they allowed and just kept continuing following and yielded to him. Yep, in John chapter 1, remember when Jesus looks at Cephas, Peter, for the first time, 
and he calls him Cephas, right? And then he says, hey, but essentially we know his name's Petros, and he gives him this name, right? Simon, son of Jonah, right? What Jesus knows in that moment is that his name, Peter, is going to be one of the foundation stones, Revelation 21, of downtown New Jerusalem, and Jesus knows that at that very moment. He knows the work I'm going to do in your life, Peter, is so substantial. Mm-hmm. The very name I'm giving you right now is in the foundation stone of heaven, which tells us that one of our challenges, Pastor Chad, is we only see people at one moment and one time, yeah, not knowing who and what, and eventually they'll become in the plan of God. But it's to have true. those dove eyes, to have the eyes of God, mm-hmm. and to see people that way, boy. That's the Barnabas gift, right? Yeah, gift of encouragement. Yeah, recognize people that, yeah, they're able to see past the temporary and encourage to what the Lord can do. So it's all needed for sure. Amen. So you can be a disciple-making disciple. Without a doubt. Christ in you, that's what God desires for you. Certainly. We as pastors, leaders, uh, hope this is a blessing to you in this episode today. It stirred you, provoked you. Take it to the Lord in prayer. That's the best place you can go and say, God, number one, what are you doing, Father, in my life? Where are you doing it? And who are you giving me? Like what organic relationship is God putting in your life of a person that you can, with gospel intentionality, do the things you're already doing and share, be a witness in that person's life. And just know you are a person who can hear from God. Stop stop dismissing yourself. Stop giving those inner thoughts and, and entertaining, oh, I'm not like him, or I can't be like her, and I can't hear the voice of God, and I can't witness like that, and I don't have, let, get all rid of all of those lies and excuses and say, no, you are the type of person that can hear from God. You do have the life of Christ in you, mm-hmm. and God wants to use you to be a, a, rep, a reproducing, multiplying disciple. And we believe that in Jesus' name. Any final thoughts? No, it's good. Praise God. We appreciate you being with us today. This wraps up episode number eight of season three. We'll be back really soon, kicking off season four. God bless you. Blessings, friends.